going through the book of Mark. And Mark is telling us the story of the gospel. We said that the gospel is not a program for how to get spiritually fit. It's not good advice. It's good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And the more we see what the gospel is clearly and see who Jesus is more clearly, we will receive him and respond to him more and more with great freedom and joy. We'll wake up because he has come to make us whole. And the, the question we're looking at this week from Mark 2, 13 through 17, it really connects to what we talked about last week. So we said that the gospel brings wholeness. But the question is, who does it bring wholeness to for? Who did Jesus come for? So that brings us to Mark 2, 13 through 17. You can read with me. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. So if you, was one of my favorite icebreaker questions. If you could have dinner, have a meal with any person, who would you have a meal with? And the answer is usually some celebrity. It's a musician or a movie star. Maybe it's Taylor Swift. Maybe it's a, someone who's been involved in uh, politics or been influential culturally, that's one of your heroes. There's so many to choose from. I've always said or, or thought that I'd like to have dinner with myself, um, which obviously I can do that anytime. But I mean, like, duplicate myself, but really just because I have so many questions. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but for you, I mean, who would you want to have dinner with? I mean, and whoever your, your answer is, it says something about who you find most interesting or compelling who you see as having value. Mark 2 is asking the question, who does God eat dinner with? Who does God want to invite to his table to eat with him? And surely it's the good people. It's the best people, right? Not the worst. Not the sinners. And if that were the case, I mean, that would be kind of a problem for us. Because we deal with the problem of what the Bible calls sin. That we do things that we should not do, and there are things that we should do that we don't do, or things that we lack. But even deeper than that, the Bible tells us that sin is making ourselves into our own God. Seeking to be my own Savior. So that sin is not just about being bad, it's also about being good. Because even with all, even to the degree that we recognize that I do things I shouldn't do and there are things I should do that I don't do, we tend to identify ourselves in the category of the good people. I'm on the right side, on the good side. Well, there's an even deeper, even bigger problem than that. 
Our biggest problem is not with sin. On some level, our biggest problem is with Jesus. Because Jesus tells us explicitly here that he came not for the good people. He came for sinners. And this is what we're going to see tonight, is that the gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for sinners. And I want to unpack that by looking at two questions. Who and why? Who are sinners and why is the gospel for sinners? So first, who are sinners? You see here, verse 13, Jesus is is walking by and he passes this guy in verse 14 named Levi, son of Alphaeus, and he is a tax collector. And Jesus calls out to this guy and says, follow me. He tells him that he wants, he wants Levi to be his, one of his followers. But not, this isn't just a random incident. Mark includes this here because apparently Levi is a representative follower. This is just the kind of person that Jesus says, I want you to come and be with me, follow me. I want you to come even eat with me, be at my table. And this is wild because he's a tax collector. So tax collectors were were members of the Jewish people who were assisting the Romans who were holding the Jewish people under their thumb. They were assisting them by going around and gathering taxes from their own people for the Romans. I mean, imagine uh, our attitude toward people that monitor parking meters and then put tickets on your car. So imagine your attitude toward those people and then amplify that by about 100 to 1,000 and then add alongside that political and national traitor. And that gets at the current attitude of this time toward tax collectors. And it's to this person that Jesus says, I've come for you. Follow me. Come and eat at my table. And it's not just tax collectors that Jesus invites to his table. We find out in verse 15 that there are many tax collectors and sinners at his table. And Jesus, Mark is using this category in the way that the people at the time would have used it. These were the people that were the political or social outcasts like the tax collectors, but also moral failures. And in the context of, of all four of the Gospels, we know that representative of this category of sinners are prostitutes. So Jesus is eating at his table, which is a sign of intimate association. You belong with me. I'm, I'm for you. Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. And this absolutely scandalizes the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, the moral authorities at the time, because they know that when the Messiah comes, the one who is going to restore God's people and crush their enemies, that he's going to make things right. But if Jesus is the Messiah, then why would he say that he is for, intimately associate himself with people who are assisting the enemy and people who are just basically the dregs of society. Why would Jesus eat with sinners? Well, the sinners in the eyes of the Pharisees are these political outcasts, these social outcasts, and they are these moral failures as a separate category. There is sinner and non-sinner. But Jesus has come to obliterate this category. And to say there is no distinction between sinner and non-sinner. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And the Pharisees labeling or categorizing the tax collectors and the prostitutes and other sinners in that category, all it does is reveal the nature of their sin, their pride, their feeling that we're basically good on our own. We're the righteous. We're the good. Hunchback of Notre Dame is one of my favorite Disney movies because it's kind of the heaviest. I mean, they went full metal on that movie. And there's a song in it called Hellfire where the character Judge Frollo, he's singing about his dark desire for the character Esmeralda. And as he sings more about his dark desire that he wants to possess her as his own, it makes him see her more and more as the sinner. So let's look at these lyrics. This is what Frollo says. Says, praying at this point, you know I'm so much purer than the common, vulgar, weak, licentious crowd. It's not my fault. I'm not to blame. It is the gypsy girl, the witch who sent this flame. Protect me, Maria. Don't let this siren cast her spell. Don't let her fire sear my flesh and bone. Destroy Esmeralda and let her taste the fires of hell, or else let her be mine and mine alone. The more that he categorizes Esmeralda as the sinner, it just reveals his own sin, his own dark desire. Whoever I label as the sinner, and not even just externally, I may not use that language, but whoever I say this person belongs in the bad category, or I belong kind of in the good category, it says something about my own sin. That's what it does. So who do you label as the sinner? And what does that say about you? Who is the person that you would label as moral failure? Maybe it's a person who has chosen the path of self-discovery in the area of sexuality, and they've decided to to navigate that in just ways that, that feel good or ways that they would say, this seems right to me. Well, if I identify or categorize that person as this person is the sinner, this person is the law breaker as opposed to me, who I'm the law keeper. What it really reveals is my own hypocrisy. Because how often have I broken God's law? How often have I said, you know, I know what God's word says, but I'm going to do what seems right in my own eyes. My categorization of this person, this is the sinner. What it really shows is that I am a sinner. I mean, who is the person that you would label as the political or social outcast? Maybe it's the person you would say is small-minded and backwards and bigoted. Well, if that is our attitude toward someone else, what ends up showing is my own harshness, lack of empathy toward someone that disagrees with me. My categorizing of someone else as the sinner, politically or socially, what it really shows is my harshness my own bigotry. And this is what Jesus is showing us. He's saying, obliterate the category of sinner and non-sinner. We're all in it together. Each one of us is a sinner. But when we say that, I mean, what that can end up making it sound like is, yes, we're all sinners, and so none of us are sinners. Like, sin is not that big of a deal. That's not what Jesus is saying. Yes, we're all all sinners, and each one of us is a sinner, and I am worse than I think. I am always worse than I think. And I know that I'm worse than I think because I so often continually label myself as, you know, I'm basically good. 
There have been all these different uh, experiments in classrooms where sociology professors will ask their class something like, if you were alive in 1930s and 1940s Germany, what would have been your attitude toward the Nazis? And without fail, pretty much every single student in a classroom says, I would be working against the Nazis. I, mean, I would be one of the good guys, the good girls. That would be me. And whether or not that, that is true, that reveals something about our attitude about ourselves. Like, you know, those sinners are kind of out there. Whereas me, no matter where I am in history, I would be one of the good ones. So I know that I'm always worse than I think because I know my own, my own ability to categorize myself as the good. But also, I know that I'm worse than I think because I'm so often self-justifying, uh, excusing my sin and blaming it on other people. To, I mean, a small example, uh, last night, uh, as Mary Lee, my wife, and I were walking into our garage, we, we had just gotten these sort of mats to place our shoes when we walk into the house so that it's just kind of orderly. But even though we bought these, I still throw my shoes all over the garage. And my wife very gently just asked me if that's my preference. We were walking in, she said, is it your preference to have your shoes all over the garage floor? And she meant that sincerely. But immediately I felt like, oh, she's pointing out something that I've done wrong. And so my response was basically, I work hard. <laughs> I, work, I, am, I am busy, all right? I drive a Ford Taurus. People respect me, that kind of thing. And it was like, it had nothing to do with that conversation. But in that moment, I, I couldn't help but self-justify. And if that's true when it comes to shoes in a garage, how much more do I, when sin, real moral failures, when those are pointed out, I excuse and I blame it on other people. Each one of us is a sinner. Who are sinners? It's me. So that's the first thing. Who are sinners? The second... Let's look at the good news here. Why is the gospel for sinners? Why is it for sinners? But again, what is the Pharisees' problem with what Jesus is doing here? What is their problem with it? Well, they know that God's plan is to restore his people. God's plan is to bring righteousness to make everything right. But if God's going to do that, and the Messiah shows up, he, he needs to start mobilizing the righteous. He needs to go and mobilize the best on the team. You know, you got to focus on the quarterbacks, not on the second string kicker. But here Jesus is, and he is associating with and saying, I am for the dregs. I am for the sinner. And what is Jesus's response? You can see there in verse 17, the first part is this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well are not that needy. If you're like me and you you don't usually want people helping you, I'm very good at resisting help when, when I feel well. But if you've ever been really sick, if you've ever had the flu, that resistance to help starts to crumble. You become more desperate and needy. It's those who are sick that know that they need to be made well. I mean, we think about the, the vaccine that, that hopefully is coming sometime within the next 10 years. For, for many of us, um, 
For many of us, the hope for a vaccine is I hope that it comes so that I can get back to my normal life. But for many people who are elderly or have comorbidities and are vulnerable, this is something that is is basically a lifeline, something to protect them from what could be very dangerous. It's those who are sick that know that they need healing. But what is Jesus saying here? This gets us to the second part of his response to the Pharisees. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are righteous would say, yeah, I'm I'm basically good. I'm okay. They are not spiritually needy because they don't think they need anything. And if they were righteous, they wouldn't need anything. But it's those who are broken. Those who know that they are sinners, who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. These are the people that respond to Jesus with excitement and can't wait to get to the party. When they receive Jesus' invitation, these are the people that are leapfrogging through the door to get there. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I love Nashville, still love it. But I had this experience of when I would go to concerts in Nashville, the band could just play a lights out show and every single person in the crowd would be kind of arms crossed, sort of like, <laughs> like if I were on stage, I could play better than the people in the band. And maybe that's true for, for some other people in Nashville. But you could go and see that same, you could go and see that same band play in a small town in Tennessee. It's pre-COVID days. And you'd have people dancing and coughing all over each other, just so excited to see this show. They're ready for the party. Because they, they don't feel like, oh, I've seen all of this before. I'm from Nashville. <laughs> this is the attitude that Jesus is looking for. Because it's the people that would say, I am needy. I am broken, fractured. I am sick in need of healing. That see him clearly. So I really, Kanye West got it right in this song, Jesus Walks, where he says, The hustlers, the killers, the murderers, the drug dealers, even the strippers. Jesus walks for them. Jesus came for and is for the dregs of society. Because he's for you and he's for me. When you look at what you would call the sinner, what you see reflected back to you, even if you don't see it, is your own desperate spiritual bankruptcy. Your own need. Jesus came for sinners because it's sinners who see him, who leapfrog into the kingdom, who can't wait to be a part of the party. These are the people who see Jesus clearly and and see that this, this God revealed in Jesus, who experienced ultimate thirst and hunger at the cross, bearing our sin. This is the God who invites us to dine with him. And so how could I not run toward him? How could I not throw myself toward him? But Jesus came for sinners also because, again, he came for you and he came for me. He loves us. And so this deals with with two more problems in our understanding of what sin is. And this, this deconstructs or deals with the problem of denying sin. I mean, maybe you're, you're listening and you're thinking, what's, why all this talk about sin? Doesn't this lead to more guilt and shame or oppression? Because it gives us another tool to say these people are sinners and I'm not. Well, we can just ask ourselves, we, 
as a society, have largely done away with, with talk of sin. And are we any more free of guilt and shame? We've largely done away with, with the concept of sin, but are we any more free from oppression? I'd say no. And so the problem is not the concept of sin, but it's misunderstandings about what sin. It's not, the problem is not listening to what Jesus says about sin and how it points us toward him. This also deals or deconstructs the problem of avoiding sin. Because often we can think that the Christian life is, is really kind of about just avoiding or managing sin. The, my goal as a Christian is just to kind of like keep sin in check. And what Jesus does is he gives me a little boost. When I need a boost, I get the boost. But most of the time I'm just kind of like holding sin down like a beach or a volleyball in water. That's what I'm doing. Well, Flannery O'Connor has a character in one of her, her stories. She says about him that he knew that the way to avoid sin was to avoid Jesus. That when we see our lives as about sin management or just kind of avoiding sin, we have, we're avoiding Jesus. Because it's only when we see that we are broken that we, we can see the power of his reviving love that brings wholeness to us. It's to the degree that you are sick, that you long for healing. It's to the degree that you are desperate, that Jesus' love will be satisfying to you. And so we need to own the bad news for us to see the good news. We need to own the truth of, our, of who we are, that we are sinners, for us to see who we are in light of God's delight and his love. This is why we talk about sin so that we might see more and more God's compassion and his mercy toward us to see his face more clearly. Who are sinners? It's us. Why is the gospel for sinners? Because God loves us. So to get back to the first question, who would God most want to dine with? Who would God invite to to his table to have a meal with him? It's you. That there's no one else, you who are broken and needy, there's no one else he would rather sit at the table with and eat. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that Jesus came for sinners like me. And Lord, I pray that we would see that this is good news. I pray, Lord, that we would not try to get better, we would get more needy. And I pray Lord, that we would see Jesus for who he is, his compassion, his mercy, his love. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.